Dylan. Dylan, welcome to the Inside Out podcast. I am immensely excited for this chat to happen because um, I absolutely love what you're about. I love the message that you share with the world. And since I came across you on Instagram, I don't know how I stumbled across you on Instagram, but since I have, I've really been like, this is someone I want to have a conversation with. Um, so yeah, thank you for being here. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> um, thanks for thanks for the introduction. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I can uh, put out them positive vibes. <laughs> you know, it's usually the, the the therapist or the doctor is being like, "Geez, I love the love the thought to this lad to see what's wrong with him." Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, so hopefully, hopefully you can fix me, Kira. <laughs> How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A couple of months. It's going to be a podcast marathon. <laughs> um, there's a quote I want to start off with, right? Because uh, it reminds me of you and your story. Um, and it's a quote by Robin Sharma. And it says, lean into your fears, go out to your edges, because the place where your greatest limits are is also the place where your greatest growth is found. Um, I love that. That's beautiful. It reminds me of you um, and reminds Thank me you. of your story. And... With that, I'd love to hear about your story. So if we could go back to, to you know, bring us through what, what life was like for you before, and, and then we'll talk about um, yeah. where you're at uh, now. No, 100%, you know, you talked about leaning into fear, and, you know, fear used to be my default state. You know, it was just my natural feeling, and I didn't know it, it was, like, when I was a kid. You know, when I looked around, all the other kids in the playground or the people in my family, you know, I, I just assumed everyone felt like that. Everyone had this sense of fear of anxiety you know we kind of had this really faulty fire alarm in my head that just seemed to go off every time you made a sandwich like you know so I um yeah so I had I had this sense of fear and I didn't know where it came from and I just knew I felt different from everyone else you know I felt like a black sheep in my family felt like a black sheep out in the yard you know and just always felt odd and always felt different and um you know would have came from a big family had seven siblings and uh yeah, my dad would have been an alcoholic and my mom was a, a geographical mover. So, uh, you know, but like, even with that, I think that adds a kind of layer to someone when they when they grow up, like, you know what I mean? Like, if you asked me a couple of years ago about my childhood, I'd tell you, so I had a very, a very kind of challenging childhood. But if you ask me now, I tell you I had an incredible childhood, like, you know what I mean? And I, was, I, I grew up in a very loving family, you know, even with the, like, limitations of, of a family like that, like, I grew up in a very loving family, like, you know, and uh, I think being able to look back at something with a bit of compassion, you know, is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, like, when I look back at me passing anything now, I see that as a lot of compassion. And we were actually talking about a book there last week, Edit Acker, about the gift, you know, and she talks about this... Um, she talks about her, she she was in a concentration camp, but she talks about her challenges of being in this concentration camp. You know, her like the horrific experiences she would have endured going through this concentration camp. She went on to be one of the leading psychologists uh, uh, in the world, and she said the reason she was so successful as a psychologist was because of her experience in that concentration camp that she developed. A, a sense of empathy and understanding for other people going through a struggle or other people going through their challenges, you know. And, and, and like I know, like a concentration camp compared to like other challenges might be the same, but to have a level of understanding, not to say, look, I studied the path, I actually walked the path, I know exactly what you're going through. And it's like that old story, I don't know if you ever heard it, and um, you know, this guy's stuck down a hole and he can't get out. And uh, 
And next thing, a doctor walks past and he's like, please, doctor, get me out of this hole. I can't get out. And the doctor writes him a prescription and throws it down. And he's there with his prescription and he's still stuck down this hole. And then, uh, then, uh, then, uh, um, then, uh, then, a doc- then a priest walks past and says, please, priest, father, get me out of this hole. I can't get out. And the priest says a rosary and, and he walks away and he's still stuck down this hole. And then a millionaire walks past and says, please, will you get me out of this hole? I can't get out. And the millionaire just writes him a check and throws it down. And he's stuck down this hole. He has, he has his, his rosary beads, his check and his prescription, and he's still stuck down this dark hole and lonely. Then another guy walks past and jumps down the hole with him. And he says, what, what are you doing? He goes, look, man, I've been down this hole before and I know the way out, follow me. You know, and that's well, today. That's why I like to, I suppose, use my experience of the past to help others. Like you know, but um, yeah. So look at it. Agar said, use her her uh, past is her gift now. You know what I mean? The whole past is her superpower and how she connect with people. Like you know, so yeah. My my default state would have been fear. You know, I would have felt odd and different from everyone else. Had this uh, default. Uh, low opinion, low opinion of myself. So I spent my whole life trying to disprove this baseline negative opinion of myself. Like you know, and as I got older, you know, my mom moved quite a lot. You know, she moved to like we moved. To, we lived in like Mayo, Wexford, that long. You know, her way of I suppose getting boy was doing the geographical. That oh, this house over here in the distance will fix everything and solve everything. You get over to that house, and then you're looking at the other house and the other side of the hill, going, "Oh, this one, like, you know." So always kind of moving around to these different houses. And um, so me as a kid, going around with all these different skills, <laughs> I already felt different. And I remember my first day when I left Dublin and going into Wexford. And, uh, and the, I think I was about eight years old. And I went into this new school in Ballygarra. And I remember walking in and all these kids were like, oh, this lad's from Dublin. I bet you he robs cars and he, he does heroin and all. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm only, I'm only, now, and I'm like, I'm only eight years old. Like, you know, and then I remember thinking, like, I miss all my friends in Dublin so much. And uh, going back up to Dublin then to see the lads. And uh, I'd be like, all right, lads. And then they'd say it's like me being like, oh, here's the culture coming up now. Here's the farmer, you know, after living down the country. So and no matter where I went, I always kind of felt uh, felt like I didn't fit in. Like So I developed, I became an expert chameleon. You know, I became a brilliant, like someone that doesn't belong anywhere becomes very good at fitting in. You start to... You know, you, you start start to observe what other people do, like what do they I'll dress like this, I'll support this football team, I'll listen to this music, I'll talk like this, you know, and you just become an expert, like you know, and that that's what I done. I just morphed into all these other characters. Like I'd, I'd go walk in the rooms and scanning rooms and 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 this is something that I uh, I was brought in as an adult, like you know what I mean, to morph into all these other characters because I think my default state as it was wasn't good enough or it wasn't worthy enough. So we always had to change who we was just so, geez, please, God, care to just accept me. Like, please just like me, like, you know? So I had all this anxiety going on. And when I was about, uh, when I was about 14, uh, I remember going down with the lads down the field drinking and uh, I had my first drink and I would have been about, I think it was about, uh, about 14. And, uh, you know, I remember t- taking a drink and being out with the lads and, I remember just when the drink hit me, this overwhelming feeling. And now growing up in my house, drink would have been taboo, you know. And like I always said that I didn't want to, I didn't want to drink the same way that I seen at home, like you know. So, but even with that, you know, I remember taking this this drink and thinking, wow, the feeling that I got, like you know. And then um, I can't remember what experience it was, but I remember one time going home and I climbed into a wheelie bin and the wheelie bin fell over. 
and, and a few lads ran over and helped me up and you know they were laughing their heads off and they're like you're a legend that was so funny you know give me high fives and all putting their arms around me and I just remember this overwhelming feeling of yes finally I feel accepted I felt that affection that attention that approval that I never got as a kid I just got it there and I just remember this is it this is the role I need to play you know I found the solution I remember thinking like alcohol is a solution to what was wrong with me you know what I mean that the you know the pain of sobriety the pain of reality was a uh, was a lot better than and then uh you know what sorry the pain is like the pain just be like I much prefer preferred the the drunken life, you know, because when I was drinking, I only had one fear. It was like where the next drink was coming from, like you know what I mean. And but when I was sober, I had so many different fears: the fear of bills, fear of uh, relationships, you know, fear of what people taught me, fear of rejection, fear like low self esteem, fear of traffic jams, fear of the queues in Tesco, you know, and um, fear of my health, fear of my parents' health, you know. But all these build up of fears when I was in reality. But then it was so much easier just to live in that drunken world. So straight away, I fell in love with drink. You know, when I drank, it melted away all the anxieties, all the fears, that low self-esteem, you know, could, you know, could make the lads laugh, you know, could talk to girls, you know, felt felt amazing. It was like Tom Hardy and Brad Pitt and Tommy Tierney and all thrown into one great person, like, you know, this. Yeah. And this was the impact that drink had on me, you know, and... Uh, like, and it just transformed my whole world. And I thought I found this amazing stuff, this amazing formula, like that just seemed to, this potion that just made everything amazing. Like, even walking into bars and be like, oh, I can't stand this bar. I don't like the barman that's on today. I don't like the crowd that's here. They're really dry, you know, I don't even like the song that's playing. You know, it's, I can't stand this song, like, you know. And I remember thinking, well, I have one drink. I shouldn't be drinking, that's what happened last night. Then two, I'm starting to feel a bit looser. And then drink number three, you know, this barman is bang on. I think he's my soulmate. I love this crowd. They're so funny. With this song that plays, this is my anthem, you know, I love this song. It's me, this is the best boy I've ever been in. You know, that was the, the impact that alcohol had on me. That was able to transform my whole reality. You know what I mean? It, it just seemed that made everything seem great. But my problem was I couldn't, I couldn't just live in that three-point world where everything seemed amazing, you know. And I, as I heard someone describe before, you know, alcohol gave me the wings to fly, and then it took away the sky, and that's when when my dependency started. You know that I became dependent on drink the moment I realised that it it, it 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 makes me feel okay, it makes me feel happy, and you know it, it feels that you know void and it takes away that anxiety, and that's when I suppose it went from me wanting to drink to needing to drink you know what i mean that i didn't have the tools to, to i suppose deal with my mental health in a normal way that the only way i thought i could find happiness or relief was in a drink but then as soon as i had that one drink i couldn't stop at that you know i triggered like this like my favorite drink was always the next drink like you know and um and just just always chasing that next drink and i suppose um yeah and i suppose for me like near near the end of my drinking like I, my mental health would have took a really bad wobble. Like I was waking up riddled with fear, riddled with anxiety. And what people don't realize is that alcohol is a, it's a depressant, like, you know what I mean? So if you have anxiety or you have depression and you're putting alcohol on top of this, it's like throwing petrol on top of the fire. You know, it's a short-term relief, but it's long-term enhancing it, like, you know what I mean? And that's what I didn't realize. It was like, yeah, it might be numbing me now, but it's gonna make make me wake up tomorrow. I'm feeling a whole lot worse, and then you're, you're you're caught in this vicious cycle, like you know you're going on and on and on, and then 
you know, and near the end of my drinking, you know, my mental health was so bad. You know, I was, like, I was afraid to leave the house, you know, I was riddled with fear, riddled with anxiety. I was blacking out all the time, you know, and uh, my blackouts got so bad, <laughs> like I was, you know, I was even using drugs to stop me blacking out. When I, I, like, instead of just giving up the drink, I thought, oh, hey, if we start taking cocaine, that would stop my blackouts, like, you know, <laughs> and uh, that was my logic. Like, this is this is the solution to this substance, is to use another substance to overcome my, my substance issue, like, you know, and um, and yeah, again, the, the mental health side, when you're putting drink and drugs on top of it, I suppose anxiety and fear um, that, um, you know, you, you, it's just like petrol on the fire all over again. And uh, yeah, and then I suppose near coming up to like my last drink, you know, I was waking up in the mornings. I didn't know whether to get a cappuccino or commit suicide. You know, that's how uh, that's how bad my mental health got. And, um, you know, and through a very kind of lucky chain of events, you know, I, I remember going down to a, a family thing and the, the family were like, Colin, if we bring you down to this, uh, this it was my dad's 60 and we, Dad, um, you know, dad, my dad's six, yeah, and the family like, look, if we invite you down to, to this thing and we'll pay for your room, you know, we'll, and, but you have to promise you won't drink. And so I had no money at all. I was sitting, I was sleeping on my sister's couch. So I had absolutely no, no job, no relationship. Like everything was gone. You know, just my drinking just tore everything down. Like, you know, and uh, I said to the family, look, I promise you. And I was trying to give it to drink for ages. And I just couldn't, like, you know what I mean? Because I kept going back to it. And my problem, I think, with the drink, that when I thought of an alcoholic, you know, like, I, I was too young to be an alcoholic. Like, when I thought of an alcoholic, I thought of the guy in the park bench drinking out of a paper bag, like, you know. Um, I didn't know. It was way too young. And it was a bin drink. I, only, I went out on a Friday, and I uh, didn't come home until Sunday or Monday. I remember going out to watch a Liverpool match, and I ended up staying out for the second season. But, like, I, I could justify my drinking because I thought it was a bin drinker, you know. I, I thought that an alcoholic drank every day and night of the week. But I only, just when I started, I couldn't stop. That was my problem. But when I was stopped, I could stay off it. But I couldn't, like, keep off it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I could justify all my drinking, like, and um, and it was the insanity that I could always, like, find a way around it just to take that drink, like, you know. Um, and, yeah, and anyway, so I got invited down to this thing in the in my, my dad's six at first party and uh, I went down, I walked in the hotel lobby and there was a big banner over the lobby saying the All-Ireland, uh, All-Ireland Alcoholics Anonymous Convention and I was like, I'm here for fuck's sake, like there's not a fear of me drinking down here, you know, and yeah. uh, I walk in and I'm like, I'm not, like if I'm looking at you can't fucking drink down here, like, this is an, an AA convention, like, you know, it's like, I said I won't and I was sitting in the bar and it was just a guy who was talking to me watching the Liverpool game and he's like, uh, he, he was just, he wasn't, he wasn't like off the drink either. And he's like, do you want a point? Because oh, maybe I shouldn't. So I just have one. So we ended up having this one drink and it again led to a blackout, you know, I went crazy for two nights and it just caused such chaos down at this, 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 like in this hotel. And I remember the next day waking up or two days later and, you know, the, the family were going crazy. You know, the hotel manager and all was up and he was trying to, you know, like, like throw the family out of the hotel. I couldn't remember a thing that happened. And I remember everyone just leaving the hotel room. And I just remember this overwhelming feeling of shame and guilt, something that I came accustomed to, you know. And uh, I remember making that a decision just there and then. You know, I just, I just got to end it all. I just want to, you know, I just wanted to end it all. And I got this sense of relief, like finally, yeah, this is it. This is the right thing to do. And just as I made that decision, just as I made that constant decision, there was a, a knock on my hotel room door and I opened the door and it was a, 
it was an, an AA member and he said, do you remember talking to me last night? And I said, man, I can't remember talking to anyone last night, you know? And um, this guy came into the room and just, he said, come on, I'll tell you my story if, that, if, that, if you think that'll help. And I was in an absolute shock, like, you know, uh, I was just shaking and I go, yeah, man, like, if you want, I just wanted to get me out of my fucking room, like, you know? And uh, so he started telling me a story, you know, how we, what happened and all. And, he started to talk, open up about his, his head, the head stuff, you know. He started talking about that fear, that anxiety, never feeling part of, always feeling like the outside out, having this default feeling of feeling inferior to society, feeling like uh, feeling like he, feeling like he was on a train and he had a, a an invalid ticket, like he just this imposter syndrome, like you know. And uh, obviously he was just taking all the, he was saying all these things that you never hear verbalized or you know, articulating the pub with the lads. Like, you never hear the lads going, hey, give us a point there, and I'm feeling insecure, you know what I mean? But what this lad was saying was everything that I felt, but I never heard it spoken before, you know? And straight away, I just remember this overwhelming feeling of relief. That, wow, someone else, I, I felt so alone, and someone else started talking about it, and, um, you know, and straight away, it was like, right, this fella knows what he's talking about, and... Uh, you know, he said, look, do you, want, do you want me to bring you down to one of the AA meetings downstairs? And I said, okay. And I went down with him to a meeting. And uh, yeah, that, that was uh, that was the last time I ever took a drink. I took a drug. And that, that was over uh, eight years ago now. And I was 21 at the time. I was 21 when I stopped drinking. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm really grateful for the life I had today. And even with that, look, my dad was also in AA. And uh, he, um, me and him, we didn't see how to die when I was, when I was drinking, obviously. But since I got recovery, you know, we had a we had a great relationship. We had a really strong relationship, and uh, really, I felt like I, I I just got to know my dad when I got sober. And he he passed away a year and a half ago, and uh, you know, I got to do a eulogy at his funeral. And you know, it, it was just it was just nice to do that sober. You know, it was nice that like even in sobriety that I so many like I thought you needed to drink to overcome certain situations. Like I thought you needed to drink a life event, like you lost your job or someone broke up with you mm-hmm. or the feck and you can't afford a bill or stress, you know, that you need it. You need drink to overcome these things. And when I came into recovery then, I was taught about resilience, you know, I was taught that you don't need to drink to overcome situations. If anything, the, the, the drink is making it worse because you have this mad situation and then you're drinking this depressant and then the next day you're waking up, that situation's still there. But, but now you feel all foggy, you're feeling riddled with anxiety, you're riddled with um, you know, fear, but that that thing is still there, that situation. So I, I was taught a lot about about resilience. And I think one of the most profound things that happened to me early on in my recovery is I remember going to a recovery meeting and sitting down in a recovery meeting, and about 10 minutes into the meeting, uh, a guy shows up with a cake in his hand and he sits down, I don't know what's going on, he cuts up this cake. And starts giving it out to everyone in the room. And anyway, the meeting goes on. And then this guy, it's his fellas turn to share. And he just starts speaking. And on this day, you know, I was, feeling, I was thinking about drinking. You know, I missed the bus on the way down to the meeting. And I was thinking to myself, hey, I'm done with this, 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 this malarkey. You know, I'm just going to go out and drink, you know, because my head was just wrecked. And uh, this guy started sharing. And he, he said he just came from his uh, daughter's funeral. And uh, he, he was that, the, first, the only place he wanted to be was on a meeting to share his experience and talk about what was going on. And I just was blown away by that. That not only this guy wanted to come to a meeting, but he brought a cake and he cut it around and he handed it out to people. And just after burying his daughter, and I thought, wow, this is, this is profound. Like, this is powerful. 
you know, and the thing that I got from that meeting was that I can never justify a drink, you know, I can never, I never need to drink again, that the tools that I have are can be found without taking a drink, like, and, and something changed for me that day, like, you know, and, um, and ever since that, you know, I, I realise now that, uh, you know, the, the life that I can have in sobriety is amazing. And what I also realised that drinking, as I said already, like, wasn't my problem, it was my solution. My problem was fear. Now, fear completely governed my life. You know, fear was my higher power. Fear was my God. And it just ruled me. Every decision I done, anything I done was influenced by fear. Like, it was just, you know, it just it was constantly around me, you know. So I had to work on where that fear was coming from and start to challenge that fear and start to lean into that fear, like that lovely quote you said at the start, you know, so that's one of my philosophies for life, you know, is to lean into anything I'm afraid of because, you know, what does fear stand for? Is, is it false evidence appearing real? Is it affect everything and run? Is it uh, false expectations appearing real? Or does it face everything and rise? You know, and that's what I need to keep saying to myself. When I feel that fear, it's face everything and rise, overcome it. You know, and it's like that thing, you know, it's okay to be in the storm, but don't let the storm be in you. And um, and also with the, the, the sea swimming, like that's taught me to get uncomfortable, to get uncomfortable, get outside my comfort zone. And that's where the beauty is. There's so many analogies with the sea, you know, like the philosophy of the sea, you get in, you feel that cold. But that, it's straight away, that's kicking off all these inner chemicals and you get out of the sea and you feel this overwhelming sense of healing, the sense of peace, the sense of uh, harmony, you know, tranquility, all coming up in you. But I wouldn't have got that if we hadn't went through that little bit of a struggle of having to sit in the cold. And there's no comfort in the growth zone, but there's no growth in the comfort zone, you know? And uh, and that's what, I, that's what I'm realising now, like, you know? Um, so yeah, through I suppose through uh, in, in, in recovery then to sobriety, um, when I overcame not my drinking problem, my fear problem, I realised I haven't got I've nothing to be afraid of. Like if I wasn't afraid, what would I do in my life? And I was like thinking all these things. Well, I've a fear of I've a fear of what people think of me. I've a fear of um, you know, a fear of public speaking. You know, I've a fear of crowds and all. So about a year, about two years into. So being sober, I done my first stand-up comedy gig, you know, and it was, it was mad. Like you know, just leaning into this fear. Then, then I had a fear of traveling, and then you know, I went solo backpacking. Uh, went to America, went all over Europe, went to Asia, just on my own, just making friends and hostels, and you know, just doing all this stuff that I was terrified of, like fear, like and just overcoming fear. And now every time fear comes up for me, I say to myself, ah, worthy opponent, you know, I can't wait to conquer this one. Like, no matter what it is, I don't let fear rule my life anymore. And everyone gets fear. Like, it's normal to get it, but it's like, how are we going to, you know, like, how are we going to utilize fear? You know, fear, pain, struggles, challenges can either be a, a catalyst or it can be, like we said at the start, is it going to be a comma or is it going to be a full stop? You know what I mean? We, we go, we're going to fail. We're going to get setbacks. What's failure? First attempt on learning. Like it's naturally going to happen. But if you can utilize pain and use it to your advantage or utilize a problem, you got, everyone gets problems, you know? But if you can say to yourself, can I use this problem? Is this problem going to be why me? Am I going to be the victim or am I going to be the survivor? Am I going to say what now? You know, and how can I use this pain, this challenge, this setback, um, this problem to my advantage? And what I found that pain is a great motivator. Pain is a great catalyst. And the only the pain and when pain and sobriety got bad enough, I started to drink. 
know, when the pain of drinking got bad enough, I got I got sober, you know. And when I look back at all the events in my life, you know, it was pain was the catalyst that motivated her, that motivated me to do everything. So like people have this thing where they want to numb pain or run away from pain. Utilize the pain. Look, if you're going to, you're having a great day, happy day is good for you. If you're having a really, really bad time, you know, I envy you because something's going to, great's going to come out of that. You know, some mm. triumph, you know, you're going to conquer something. Because when I look back at all my big achievements I've ever done, you know, it always came from pain. You know, through every breakdown, a breakup becomes a breakthrough. You know, so learning to utilize that pain, utilize that fear, use it to your advantage. You know what I mean? And that's where great things come. And what I found with any successful person that, I, I, I admire you know they they always keep going no matter if they they don't like if they get a problem or a setback whatever it is it's always action they always just keep moving that's what it is just just keep moving and keep going and you know and and not let pain consume you or overcome you or let fear be fear be your catalyst you know let like no sorry do let fear be your catalyst like, let it motivate you to become the become the best version of yourself and that's and that's where we discover our potential. If we don't hit that wall, if we don't ever try, we'll never know how far we can go. We'll never know how much we can do. And if you like, if you had got that thought to yourself, will I start up this podcast? Like, you know, and then start away, no, geez, what will the girls think? What will the lads think? What will the family think? You'd never do it, like, you know, but you leaned into that fear and you've done it anyway. And now look at the amount of people you're benefiting from having this podcast, like, you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's brilliant. To le- it's amazing when we're able to lean into fear or lean into pain or lean into setbacks. And that, that's where the freedom is for me. Like. Thank you so much for all of that. Um, it, it, for me, it's been a, like incredible to just listen to your story. It's been so profound. And I love the idea of using fear as your catalyst for growth rather than something that we try and run away from or try and try and numb because it, it very much rings true to my own story as well. Like I used to really run away from the fact that like, I'm not good enough. And it was something that just surrounded me the whole time. Um, We're hardwired for negativity. We're hardwired to think of the negative. That's how we are. But it's the idea of, and what I say to myself all the time now is I'm living my life by design, not by default. I know my default is a place of, you know, being with someone, i.e. myself, that really just doesn't like myself. I don't support myself, don't love myself. That's my default. My default is I feel not good enough. So if I see that and go, okay, well, how do I live my life by design now? How do I take, it's almost like taking responsibility back for my own life. And and that's what I hear ring true in your story. It's this mm-hmm. idea of this is my life. I am grateful for this life and I'm taking responsibility for it. Um, and I love it. And it's so, so inspiring. Um, and what I love about it is, and I always say it to my clients, and the message that I always try and convey to people is at any point in our lives, we have the option and the choice to change our story. And, and that's what I love. We were speaking earlier about our favorite tattoos. One of my favorites is the semicolon. Like my story isn't over. It's, it's adapting and changing as I grow. And, mm. you know, we both turned 30 recently. <laughs> and like, that's the only don't feel down that. <laughs> Yeah, age is a human condition. <laughs> um, I was so happy. Like a lot of people were like, like, how are you feeling about turning 30? And they were expecting this answer of, you know, fucking like keep it down. I don't I don't want to turn 30. I was yeah. like, come at me. 
because I spent my 20s really struggling and really trying to hustle for my worth and trying to literally do everything I could to stay alive uh, when all I really wanted to do was just escape and end my pain. Mm. And I turned 30 and was like, this is fucking living. I'm responsible for my yeah. life and every choice that I make is is part of that. And that's what I see ring true in yours. It's this it's this idea of, of being fully alive and, and I love it. Um, what have been the best resources? So like using anxiety as a friend, using fear as our friend. And I love that term. Like let's use, you know, what we would normally run away from as, as opportunities for growth. Um, let's lean into that. What are the best resources that you've learned over the last couple of years that have helped you to, to really, I suppose, lean into that fear? Because it's a scary thing to do. Um, so what's, what's the best things that you can do that to really like lean into that fear? For me, it's gratitude. You know, you, you talked about turning 30. There's a lot of people that never get the opportunity to turn 30. You yeah. know, there's a lot of people that don't get the opportunities that we get uh, living in living in Ireland, living in like a very developed country. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, won't ever, you know, get the opportunity to go for a sea dip or go traveling or, you know, even with, even with mental illness and things like that, you know, for me, for me, it was being intensely grateful every single day and counting my blessings every single day. Like I was one of these guys that even after after I got sober, I struggled with my mental health because I was so wrapped up in what people taught me. I was so wrapped up in my perfectionism, my high achieving expectations. It's such a, I suppose, default sense. Uh, didn't feel worthy enough. So everything I'd done, I had to be the best at. Then will you accept me? Then will you approve of me? You know, and that led me down a, another dark hole. You know, near near, I had a breakdown three years sober, uh, because of living living like that. Because I, I was constantly telling myself I wasn't good enough. Everything I'd done, you know, I could score a hat trick and I'd be whipping myself over that one shot that I missed, or I'd, I'd become number one in in the job, whatever measurement it was, and I couldn't take it on the. I, I couldn't uh, give myself credit straight away. Be like, ah, oh, you could have done it faster. You could have done it better. So I was nonstop looking at the negative, looking what I don't have, you know? And as you said, it is, it's human nature to always spot the negative. It's a primal instinct. It's a survival thing that we develop from being cavemen. When you leave the cave and you see a rainbow on your left and a dinosaur on your right, what do you think you're going to pay attention more of? Like, you're going to say, geez, the negative thing is the dinosaur. So you'll take the, the rainbow for granted and you'll focus on nothing but the dinosaur. You know, and that's like when we leave our house, you know, if we get, if you post this podcast and you get a hundred great, amazing comments and you get one negative, you're going to focus on that dinosaur. You know, if your boss sends you a big, long email telling you how great of a job you're doing, but you could have done this a bit better, you're going to focus on that dinosaur. Like if you go out, say, with your partner and they say something, they, they love you so much, but you're going to focus on that dinosaur. And what we can do is that we can just focus on the dinosaurs in our lives and negatives. And we're sending us and we're sending our brain their messages all the time that we're not good enough. And then the shame is building up, the stress hormones are building up, the cortisol is building up. And we just, you know, and that's what was going wrong with me. That I was just throwing this all in the backseat. You know, so what I done first of all was when I was going to bed and I and I was writing a gratitude list, I had to change the word want to have. I used to go to bed saying, I want, I want, I want. The neighbor has a bigger car than me, he's skinnier than me. They can run faster than me, you know, always comparing, always putting my and even the expectation, never taking anything I had, just the stuff that I wanted, like, you know. 
And I had to learn to say, right, what have I got? You know, I have a warm house, you know, I have a comfortable bed, I have, I have a good, I have a good head on my shoulders, you know. I live in a very developed country, you know. Um, you know, I've food in the fridge, you know, and I'm I'm just I'm just grateful for those simple things. You know, and I built, I just started to set, set that as my base, you know, just starting to count my blessings, being grateful for the simple things, writing down my gratitude list, like. And that was an absolute game changer for me. You know, that was when I st- when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, you know. And Albert Einstein has this great quote, you know, he says, one of the most fundamental decisions we'll ever make is whether we live in a hostile world or a friendly world. You know, when I said, tell myself we live in a hostile world, I'll, I'll look on the news, I'll see all the negative headlines, I'll go outside, I'll see people honking the horns, I'll see couples fighting, I'll see dogs barking, I'll see rude people in the shop. And I'll, I'll, I'll convince myself, yeah, I live in a hostile world. You know, before I wake up and say I live in a friendly world, I'll, I'll leave the house, I'll see the birds singing, I'll see people holding hands, I'll see puppies. You know, I'll see the smiles and the laughs and the crack going on around the world, you know? And that's, and it's, like, as we say, like Abraham Lincoln said, most folks are only as happy as they make up their own minds to be. And we had to, and that's what it was. Like, happiness is, is a mindset. You know, happiness is about gratitude, about seeing the good out there, you know what I mean? That we do have a tunnel vision for whatever we want to see, you know what I mean? If I say I live in a negative world, I'll keep looking for evidence to back up that, that decision that I made. But if I say I live in a positive world, that there's good out there, I'll, I'll go search, searching the evidence for that, you know what I mean? And whatever I surround myself with, I'll feel, you know, if I'm surrounding myself with positivity and gratitude and all these high vibrating energies, you know, I'll feel that, I'll feel good for the day. So for me, you know, it's about overcoming, like, fear is a higher power. Sorry, fear is a lower power. Love is a higher power. And we all have it. It's yin and yang. So it's like saying, what do you, like, how do you overcome fear? You know, you be brave, you show courage, and you be, you be trying to be as loving as you can, like, you know? And, and, and like, fear can stem off the anger or, or the selfishness or control. And, you know, but, that, but when we start to conquer that fear by, say, you utilizing love or gratitude, you know, and that's how I was overcoming it, like, and say, right, how can I make the most of my life? You know, I've, I've so much opportunity. You know, like two years ago, I was in a job and my mental health was really bad. And I was in a really good paying job, stressful job, and my mental health was taking its toll. And I had really good tools, I had really good uh, people around me, you know, and I had all these great things. But even with that, I mean, it was a really stressful job. And I, I had to say to myself, really, what comes first? What's my priority here? My mental health? Or my job, and in the end, I ended up handing my notice. And with that, I went traveling. <laughs> I went traveling, I went backpacking Asia, I went solo backpacking Asia, I done a, a K1. I went over to do a K1 competition with Muay Thai. And uh, I, 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 two weeks into that, I got uh, I met a guy in the hostel I was staying in, and he was mad into, you know, he was mad into, you know, he was doing a, a silent retreat. A meditation Buddhist retreat, and he was telling me all about it in this hostel. And it was, I'm a couple of years sober at this stage, and uh, so I was mad into spirituality. So he was like, Do you want to come along and see what's like? And I remember going and I just got talking to this, uh, got talking to a monk there, a guy from, guy from Bristol, and uh, he signs myself, you know, he went down a bit of a journey and he just found Buddhism. But I just got this mad energy off him, and I wanted what he had. And you know, he invited me to do some of this retreat, so we ended up quitting the. The, comp- the K1 competition and uh, getting into getting into this fucking re- re- doing this retreat and and with that I just found something 
healing within me. And then I went on this big adventure. I went up to Vietnam and Cambodia and then to Bali, you know, just seeking and exploring this Buddhism, like, you know what I mean? The meditation and, you know, it was beautiful. And tried all these, like doing cocoa ceremonies and sound healing and all these great, all these things you can do. And uh, I just found myself freeing, like, you know, and um, and then I came home and I, 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 I was down in that place in Cork in an animal sanctuary and a Buddha, the only Buddha uh, monastery in, in Ireland in the place called Dajnabera in the Bera Peninsula. In, and I stayed there for the summer volunteering and that was amazing. And then uh, I decided to go back to work, uh, sorry, go back to college. I wanted to do uh, sociology and social policy and work in uh, like social care and mental health or you know, become a social worker. And now I'm near the end of my first year. We're now questioning if I want to do that and I want to do like four years of big commitment. Maybe I want to go back to work, you know. And uh, so I decided now I want to go back to work and I'm going to keep volunteering around that stuff. But what I'm telling that story is I had so much fear of leaving my job, but I'd done it anyway. You know, I had so much fear of going traveling, you know, because she's gone on my own. I don't know if I want to do that, but I'd done it anyway. I started, I signed up to this K1 competition, you know, a lot of people were looking at me and I then, I, I felt it wasn't for me and I got talking to this other guy, he 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 said something to me and, you know, straight away the judgment, Jesus, I don't know if I've been into all that Buddhism side of stuff and he said, just come and try it, I had an open mind and I'd done it anyway, tried it and I ended up loving it and then I had this like itinerary where I was going to travel but then I ended up like, not taking my return flight and going traveling for another kind of three months around Asia. I actually only got back last April, but I, even with that, I got I done it anyway. And I came home in April and then went down to Cork and then started up to a, went back to college, even as a mature student, you know, 29 years old. I felt like an old man in the classroom, like, you know what I mean? Like sitting up the front asking all the irre, irrelevant questions, like, you know what I mean? And uh, just the annoying mature student. And I'd done that anyway. And now I'm questioning this commitment that I made of a four-year course and I'm thinking of going back to work and I'm probably going to do that anyway. So I'm like, I'm so blessed that I have even all these this stuff going on that I'll have that fear to do these things, but I'm still going to do it anyway. That once I'm always seeking and my motives are right, that it's okay to do it, you know? And it's, you know, if you're eight years or nine years old or whatever you live down, you're looking back in your deathbed going, Jesus, I wish I, I wish I could have done, I should have tried that or I should have tried this. You know, at least I'd be saying to myself to be no shudders, you know, because I'm doing stuff that makes sense to me. At the, and maybe if I don't, I'm not stick to it, so that's okay. You know, at least I'm not, I'm not letting fear be my higher power anymore. You know what I mean? I'm letting like the right mode of being my higher power to say, right, let's go and try this, let's go try that. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's just, that's just how I like to live, that I don't like, um, you know, I don't like uh, being totally consumed by by fear or anxiety anymore and but the other game changer for me is as we talked about you know edit atgar you know using my experience to help other people and i find that so freeing and someone that was wrapped up in drink drugs materialism destination addiction that the thing over there was going to fix me and then finally when i was able to realize that nothing is going to fill that void nothing i can measure will fill that void i, I can measure cars money Instagram likes, you know, I can measure all that stuff and that won't make me feel happy. That's just my ego. And the thing about ego, ego is never satisfied. Ego is going to want more and more and more and more and more. It never gets satisfied. But if I can fill that void with stuff I can't measure, like sea swimming, you know, like nature, like, you know, helping other people, like meditation, 
gratitude. And when I started to do that, then I started to feel satisfied. And what I had to stop doing was stop looking to want to be one in successful life and start seeking uh, um, satisfied life, you know? And um, yeah, so for, gratitude is, is a massive one to always just say, right, what am I grateful for today? Write it down on a bit of paper. It could be simple. You could look around your room there. Look, I'm grateful for this microphone. I'm grateful for these tattoos that I have. I'm grateful for them frames up on the wall. You know, even the simple things, even sometimes when I'm drinking a coffee, I'm like, this is the greatest fucking coffee I've ever had in my life. Like, this is incredible. Like, I keep using these high brain words. Phenomenal, amazing, sensational, you know, absolutely incredible, you know. Use all these high vibrating words. Fill your day up on your life up. Fill your day up with positive people and grateful people. Like if I'm having something to eat, I'm like, this is the best food I've ever had in my life. You know, if I'm walking, I'm getting in for the sea, I'm like, this is the best seed. If this sunset, this sunrise, I'm sitting in the balcony, this to the birds. You know, this is incredible. This moment, I am so blessed to have this moment. And if you keep telling yourself this stuff, you're going to start realizing it. Like, but if you keep telling yourself you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you don't look good, you don't have enough money, you're broke, you're crap at what you do, you'll start to believe that stuff. So if we, I had to start to, as we said, change that inner thought, change that inner dialogue, and realizing that happiness is, is the decision that we can make. You know, start changing that tunnel vision to feed yourself more positive stuff, like, you know? I love it. Um, I love. I like. I lo- just. I could sit here and listen to you all day. Um, one thing that just came up for me just there towards the end as you were speaking was earlier on. Um, you were talking about this idea of of fitting in versus this idea of belonging. Um, and it kind of got me thinking as you were talking there because it reminds me of my own journey as well. I was constantly searching for things in the external to make me internally feel better, to feel good enough, to feel like I belonged. When in reality, when I started, and the reason I call this podcast The Inside Out is when I started to flip back into myself and come back home, I realized that actually all I need to do first and foremost is feel like I belong in mm-hmm. myself, for myself, within myself. And the amazing thing that happened after that, and I'd love to see if it's, it's the same for you, the amazing thing that happened after that, when I became my own best friend, when I became someone that I could rely on, when I became someone who treated myself with compassion and self-love I, I started to feel like I belonged and not to anything externally but to feel like I belonged within myself um I feel like I felt like I was home and yeah. I didn't search for um to fit in um in my external world anymore my internal world was I suppose the foundation was so much centered around actually I belong within myself you liking me is a bonus you being my friend is a bonus this promotion or this job they're all bonuses Mm. the foundation for me being happy and being content and being satisfied is me really feeling like I belong within myself and feeling like I'm home would you agree with that or how was it for you 100% yeah that's beautiful like and uh, I love how you articulated that um 100% you know like I was unable to love myself or like myself. So this started this uh, outwardly journey of validation. Like, you know what I mean? Please, if I can just get him to like me, then I'll like myself, you know? And this was the message I was telling myself subconsciously without even realizing it. Like, and 
you know, if we get enough likes on Instagram, if we lose enough weight, if we get my bank account big enough, if we can save up enough money, if we can travel to enough places, you know, I kept sending these messages and it was that thing. And what triggered it all was just, I didn't like myself. I, I couldn't stand who I was and I couldn't validate myself. I couldn't cherish myself. I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't support myself at all. I do anything to just to get away from Colin, like, you know what I mean? I went from like a human being to a human doing. I became a workaholic, a fucking like, you know, a, a trainingaholic. I'm talking about all the good things we can get wrapped up in, like without drink, like, you know, overeating, like anything I could do just to straight and constantly being out socialized, never being able to sit on my own in the house. Like, I'd, I'd be a constant, be uh, answering my pants like I could never sit still because sitting still meant sitting with Colum, sitting with Colum's thoughts and sitting with Colum's feelings and it wasn't until I made that journey from my head to my heart where I started to say do you know what Colum's actually a good deal or I actually like I like who I am and when I was able to sit down with that at first it was like here this is a bit weird Jesus I don't, I don't like this what's going on I'm not used to sitting with Colum with the you know and then when I slowly started to Say, you know, I actually, I actually like my own company. I actually like being able to sit in and watch a bit of Netflix or, or read a book and become my own, become my own validator, become my own cheerleader. And and that was the game changer. And that that was me finding home, you know. And at the end of the day, that's all we're all doing. We're all just trying to find our way home. And for me, realizing that I'm going from here to here and just realizing that I'm a good dude. I don't need the nice Gucci jocks or the fucking... Ferrari or the million followers or the the ripped fucking body or the this that or a million other things we can measure just so I can lo- become lovable and that was that was one of the the most mixed up narratives that I developed over the years that I, I I am not lovable as I am my default state isn't lovable isn't worthy that I need to become someone or gain something or be someone to become lovable. And I think that I developed that from a very young age, you know what I mean? That as I, my default state isn't lovable, isn't worthy, isn't good enough. So that set off this journey that, geez, I need to become the best at this to be liked. I need to do this thing to get attention. I need to become, lo- I need to, you know, act this way to get affection, you know? So I was constantly on the on the journey of being liked. And when my journey stopped being, I need to get Kira to like me, to go from, I need to get Colin to like himself, that was the game changer. And that was the thing, you know, when I was able to say, oh, I'm a good dude and I like who I am. It was, and it, when I was able to sit with myself long enough and, and question, why why am I doing what I'm doing? Why, why can't I sit with myself? You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it was an absolute game changer. Like when you become your own best friend, it's actually dangerous in terms of <laughs> how comfortable you get with yourself. Like yeah. how, and how, like, and you don't need... All the like the materialism and the need for constantly be around people. Like I love going for dips on my own and spending time with myself and you know, going traveling on my own. I love bringing myself out on dates. Like you know what I mean? I'm around people too much. And we talk about wearing masks and things things like that. You know, I find that when I'm around people, I'm scanning the room and I morph into all these different characters. Like when I'm finding them on my own, that's when I'm calling. That's when I'm just truly myself. I'm in my head and like, that creative flow is just taking off with philosophies, of ideas, you know, of analogies just flowing through my head. But it's only when I'm with Colum that I really get to that state of mind. But when I'm around certain other, other people and I'm playing the, I'm playing the role or the character I think you want me to be like, you know, so learning to love yourself 
and cherish yourself and become your own cheerleader. Even the days you don't want it, even the days you don't want to do. Some days you wake up and you don't like how you look or you don't like how you sound, or you don't like how you feel. And that's okay. That's okay too. You know, but the main thing is that never give up on you because you, you're, you're, when you wake up in the morning, who's there with you? When you go to bed at night, who's there with you? When you're going through them highs, who's there with you? When you're going through them lows, who's there with you? You is always with you. you you're the only thing you'll never lose. You know, materialism, family, relationships, all these things come in and out of our lives. But you is always with you. So if when we, st when we start, start actually like who we are and love our own company, it's an absolute game changer. And that's where gratitude starts with me. I'm grateful for being Colm. There's no better version of Colm out there. Stop trying to be someone else because everyone else is already taken. You know, and that guy's probably trying to be you and you're trying to be him. Yeah. Start being yourself. Start liking your own stuff. And that, look, I remember when I was a kid, or not even, not even a kid, only a few years ago, you know, I had like a Spotify playlist and one Spotify playlist that I'd play when I was around the lad, you know, sort of Tiesto, Swedish House Mafia, you know, Skewer, all these mad techno music because I thought that, I wonder the lads, geez, Colin's cool, did you hear this playlist? He's so, yeah, he's such a cool dude. You know, and I wanted this, them to say that, even though he couldn't stand this music, I didn't like this music, I'd a real old school, I'd, I'm a real old soul and the type of music I like is like Pink Floyd, the Beatles, Stone Roses, The Doors, you know, like all, all real old school classic rock stuff. And um, you know, this other playlist full of all that music. And I was terrified they find that out. So, but today I play my music the way I like that. My, I suppose my best advice for anyone is keep playing your music. The last thing you want, and that's an analogy for anything. That's an analogy. If you want to wear bleeding, what you want, if you want to talk like you want, if you want to watch or read or do what you want, whatever you do, don't tell yourself not to do it because you're afraid what someone else will think. Play your fucking music. You don't want to be sitting down in a couple of years' time on your deathbed going, I was terrified to play my playlist. I was terrified to play my music because what other people would think? And not only are you going to benefit yourself with being yourself, someone else is admiring you and going, Jesus, look at that person coming. Look at Kira coming out and doing her thing. She's so brave, you know, when you that's gonna inspire me to go and do that, you know what I mean? So when you're playing your playlist, people are looking at you doing your thing and going, Wow, that is so brave. Like that's inspiring. Like, I, I want to do that. Like, I always wanted to do that. And that's why it's it's nice to do things like these and have these open conversations, these deep conversations, and say, Yeah, I get vulnerable, yeah, I get anxiety, yeah, I struggle with my mental health. I don't know it all. I, I really don't. I haven't a clue, you know. But I keep striving and I keep trying to be the best and I keep trying to like myself every single day. Like, you know, I want to keep and I keep playing my playlist. And that's number one, because I don't care what people think of my playlist today, you know, because it makes me feel good. I love it. Um, I love every inch of that. Um, something that I also really want to touch on is this idea of how we can help people who may be struggling. Um, I have done a, an awful lot of public speaking uh, with various different organizations and it never sat right with me the fact that I go and I'd speak and then we'd walk away and I it just never sat right with me that I just didn't get to actually if for a few people it started something I unearthed something for someone or they related to me that they couldn't come and have a conversation with me um, and a lot of the work you know, that is, is spread around is this idea of it's okay not to be okay. And I 100% stand behind that. But 
what I also am trying to be an advocate for is if you are feeling okay and you see someone who isn't feeling okay, is to have the courage to ask the question and sometimes ask it twice and to really, I suppose, be there to listen. Um, for anybody who is in or can see someone in a position that you are in, um, for anybody who, you know, see someone who's struggling, what would your, from your heart, be your best advice to, to, to really go back and go, okay, well, I see my friend and I can see that they're struggling with whatever it is. In your opinion, what would be the best thing for, for, for them to do? If So for me, I know for me is using my own experience, as, as we said, you know, and we talked about, you know, having these vulnerable conversations because when I'm vulnerable, I'm giving someone else permission to be vulnerable. And, you know, even opening up and talking about our setbacks and our struggles is letting other people know, look, you're not the only one that gets that stuff. We all get them struggles because when you're going through them struggles or them, them hardships or them dark, dark, tough, lonely roads, it's an extremely lonely place to be because you think you're the only one going through it. Like, so, you know, it for me, it's like, and I think it's like, a, I don't know, it's just a human nature thing. That's right where you want everyone to see the best version of ourselves, you know, where like talking about mental health isn't like, it isn't normalized. It isn't humanized. Like, it's like a thing where you're going around and saying, oh, do you know what? You're sitting here with the lads in the pub and, you know, you know how it's going to turn around your lads. I'm, I'm feeling mad anxious. Like, or I'm feeling fucking depressed or I'm having suicidal thoughts. You know, you're not going to sit around. You're going to be talking about football or, whatever like you know what I mean you're not going to be talking about your mental health but even though everyone gets it everyone gets it and no one but no one talks about it. it's like the worst kept secret you know and then um, when people hear someone else talking about all right so this is the thing okay you're, you're opening up about that so yeah I feel okay opening up about this like you know and so it's nice that even if you want to start up a conversation with saying oh have you cared oh yeah yeah and you're oh, no I'm grand no grand it's the Irish Greatest Irish word ever invented on grand. You know, you, you have a week to live. Ah, oh, that's grand. You, you just have to win in 10 billion euro. Ah, oh, that's grand. You know, we say it for everything. It's like just our natural response. Even though on earth doing that, my head is saying, tell this guy what's going on with you, Colin. Talk, talk, talk about your feelings, talk about your emotions. So how are you, Colin? Oh, grand, yeah, grand. Did you watch the match? Oh, deadly, yeah. You know, straight away, I'm terrified to actually open up. So what I found out from talking to people, I'd say, yeah, Colin, like, I'd bring it up. You know, I'd say, hey, I've actually been, yeah, man, I feel a bit anxious now the last few days. You know, I think this, this lockdown was, this lockdown was really getting to me. Like, you know, um, I just miss going out, you know, going for like coffees. Oh, I haven't seen my man a couple of months. I'm really missing her. You know, if I'm a knock on the news, you know, it's, it's always bad. You know, I'm really missing the gyms, you know, and uh yeah, man, it's it's really getting to me. I just feel like it's it's coming up on top of me, like and I'm, I'm feeling really, really anxious, like you know what I mean. And uh, I just feel really, I don't feel comfortable in my own skin at all, like you know. And uh, you know, and you could you could get like get for me, it's just about me showing my hand, saying, "Look, I'm not, I'm struggling too," and that's and that's that's kind of how it can start, you know. I was like, we're messing at the start of the what we can say, but so if I turn around to the lads and say, oh, "Hey, do you know what, man? I, to be honest, I, I actually wet the bed." You know, he's gonna say, No way, so do I actually. You know, uh, I don't want the bed for the right. <laughs> but you know what I mean? And that's the thing with the mental health thing that when one yeah. person opens up about it, then that's kind of making the other person feel a bit more comfortable opening up. Like, you know what I mean? Because we can tend to 
put it put mental health as as, as some or anxiety or depression as some sort of weakness or a burden that no one no one wants to hear about that. Everyone just wants to see the the goodness or the great stuff going on, like the highlight reel. You know, no one wants to know about the struggles in life, even though we all get it. Like you know what I mean. So I think for me, it's just to make it more more of a a natural human conversation. And again, if you if you like some people, like how are you? Like, I, I, I don't always want to open up and talk about it if someone's asking me. But someone else started up the team of the conversation a bit more, then I'm like, okay, if you're kind of talking about that, then I feel more comfortable talking about it, like, you know? And then and just being able to express how we feel because, you know, the opposite of depression is expression. You know, when you think of the, the word depressed, you're depressing down feelings, charms, pain, and you're just pushing it all down and that's slowly popping its head up via panic attacks or it's manifesting in anxiety or overreactions to, to feeble situations, you know, and this is how it can manifest into our lives. But you know, as we can talk about feelings and as they come up and, and so, like, don't get me wrong, feelings can be really hard to articulate. Sorry, it's actually impossible to articulate a feeling, I think, because we'll never truly have the words to describe. Only I'll know my true feelings, like, you know what I mean? But if I can even just talk to someone, you know what I mean, and be able to kind of get, like, just to get something off my chest, you know what I mean? And see, that's the thing we talked about earlier on, about pain being a, being a catalyst and suffering being a catalyst. It can be a catalyst if it's used in the right way, but it can also really harness our, our, our mental health and be... A, it's like fire is a great tool that can make cook your food or it can burn your house down if it's not treated the right way, you know. And it's the same with like anxiety and pain. If we're not treating it the right way and just stuffing it down all the time and never actually feeling it or actually feeling it, like you know, I was I just go go into autopilot. I don't have to feel my emotions keep going, but never actually feeling our feelings, like you know what I mean. That when we actually stop long enough to feel my feelings. I go, okay, yeah, this is what's going on. Okay, yeah. Because how often do we stop? We all talk about the rat race, the go, go, go. Like, how often do we stop and actually sit with ourselves? No phone, no Netflix, no nothing. Just sit with yourself. I, I try and do this out with nature. Like, I try and just put my bare feet on the ground and just sit down and synchronize and just feel my feelings. Because I'm never, I'm always on the go. I never get a chance to just sit with column. But then when I actually sit with my feelings, like, okay. This is what I'm going through. Okay, now now we know. All right, yeah. All right, this is it. You know, and, and then when we actually sit down long enough and sit in that stillness and quietness and not needing a constant distraction, that's when I started to feel, okay, yeah, yeah, right, this this makes a bit more sense. So for me, um, yeah, talk, talking to friends when it comes to, to mental health stuff, I say set up the, the, the team for it. Like if you open up, you show your hand first and then let that be the team and let it follow on from there. Like, and uh and if you feel your friends are maybe talking about it, you can say some of the avenues that you took to help you and that they don't want to talk about their so look, I was struggling with my mental health and I was getting suicidal thoughts or I was feeling anxious. And, and do you know what we actually doing? R- rang a mental health phone line, you know, and there's a great mental health phone line, completely confident, you know, uh, they don't know you, you don't know them. Just being able to talk to a stranger and say, what's going on, you know? And, and you know, just, I just felt, found a sense of relief was able to do that and I got a therapist as well you know I'm seeing this therapist and they're doing a lot of CBT and uh, you know it's great just to be able to open up about stuff that I haven't been able to really talk about people like you know what I mean and uh, you know so being able to kind of talk about as well what 
around keep it like talk about our own experience rather than saying oh you tell me your problem care and i'm like Kira, do you know what you need to do you need to do this because this will make you better because i know what you need to do you know and straight away you know you put mm. the guard up before you say Kira, you're gonna identify it i can resonate a lot with that yeah yeah my, my experience with this is uh you know and we can kind of use our own experience you know, rather than saying, you know what you ought to do, you know, and uh, so yeah, little, little things like that, you know, live by example, example is the greatest um, message you can ever tell anyone, like, you know, uh, don't don't tell me, show me, you know, and I'm a big believer of that, like, you know, live, live by your own example, like if you've seen a mate going down the road, for example, uh, say weight loss, well, you see a friend that's after losing, fucking gone from 50 stone to 10 stone, you're going to say, Jesus, like, what did you do? The the, ev- the visual evidence we have here that you've went from this to that. Like, I want that. That is so attractive. Your lifestyle is so attractive. You went from that to that. Tell me how you've done that. That's an example. But if what, you see me walking down the road, and I'm like, Jesus, you know what you need to do? You know, you, I'm going to say, it's just another lad that thinks he knows, knows it all. Like, you know, but if you see physical life experience of someone that's changed their life or changed their mindset or changed their mental health, you're going to, if you see that, that's beneficial and, you know, that's going to benefit you. You're going to gravitate towards that. If that's beneficial and attractive to you, you'll benefit, you'll, you'll gravitate towards that, you know? I love it. Epic. Um, final question, I think, but sure, who knows after <laughs> you've answered, there might be another question. Um, what does, what does purpose and meaning mean to you and what gives you purpose and meaning? Um, like it's purpose and meaning, it's, it's subjective, you know, um, like for me to have purpose is look I think as well it's changing all the time for people you know you're a certain age it's it's going to be materialism then you get to another age it's just finding yourself then it's another age then it's just around family man you know and for me today meaning is meaning is having a satisfied life you know that I've been someone that's been there had a few near that experiences through drinks through drugs and even through suicide and um for me today it's living a simple life getting satisfied by the sea by nature like i've never took to the whole religion thing and um, but i am a real spiritual person i'm a very spiritual person but not via religion more via the universe and i feel a divine connection when i get in the sea when i believe in god like you know and um, but I, I get that connection when i'm out with nature you know when i'm walking through the woods when i'm hiking when i'm in the sea when i'm running when i'm in a present moment that's when i'm close to my higher power when I'm in the here and now, you know? And the more I'm in the present moment, you know, the more I get a sense of purpose. And I know that my purpose today is to try and help people, you know, to do my best to say, how can I use my experience to help someone else today? You know, because, you know, everything else can fade and expire. Like, but, you know, there's no better feeling for me than just trying to be a service to someone. Like, how can I, how can I improve someone's day today? How can I make someone's day less difficult? Like, you know, and just doing little things like that um, gives me a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose. Otherwise, everything else I'm just chasing. You know, I'm chasing the shiny thing in the distance. You know, I'm chasing that rainbow where all in all is chase. You know, we never actually want to get there because when I get there, I'll realize that this won't fix me either. I'll get depressed for a little period when it comes to that realization and then I'm chasing the next thing. You know, it's like the dog chasing the car. He's going mad chasing this car. 
Then as soon as he catches it, he's like, shit, I actually wasn't expecting it. I was expecting to catch it. I don't know what to do with this now. And it's like when we start putting the promotion or the bank account or the holiday or the relationship, and we realize our ego has told us the information that Colin, you need to get that. See that? See how you're feeling now? See that emptiness and that that inability to sit with yourself and not liking who you are or where you are. You know what you need to do to fix that? You need to get that promotion, Colin. When you get that promotion, you will, you will start to like yourself. Do you know what you need to do? You need to get that body. When you get that body, that's when you'll start to love yourself because you don't love yourself now. You know, when you get that marathon, that's when you'll feel worthy. When you get that car, that's when you feel successful. And our ego is telling us these messages all the time. So then we start off in this pursuit and this endeavor. We're at nice shine and we get there. And I got the marathon and the anti-climax. Like, oh, well, like, I still don't like myself. What's going on? Like, you know, and then I made some promotion. I said, I still don't feel successful. What's going on? Or maybe if it's, and no, I, I still feel empty, you know, if it's, what's going on, you know, and it's just a non-stop thing. And then we finally realize that it's sitting with yourself in the present. It's in the here and it's in the moment. Just be here and now, you know. And then when, when I realized that, when I took this big, massive journey to realize that when I'm just able to sit in the here and now, be in the present moment, you know, that is my, um, and that's my sense of meaning. You know, that's my sense of purpose. You now is to try and sit with myself and try and say, well, who, who else can I help today? And that's and, and like I'm probably the brokest I've ever been in my life at the moment. You now being back in college, but I'm probably the happiest I've ever been in my life as well. Like you know, because I'm just living a simple life. Like I used to need a lot of drink and a lot of drugs to feel any sort of happiness, an artificial sense of happiness. You know. Whereas now I get it out getting in the sea. Now I get it out ringing out friends saying, hey, how are you, man? Now I get it out going for a run. Now I get it out reading a book. Like, you know what I mean? Um, these, if you told me that 10 years ago, I'd tell you where to go. go ahead, get out of here. Like, you know? But now I'm like, I don't want anything else. Like, I'm so... I, I, only because I like who I am today. I'm my own best friend today. You know? And, uh, you know, when you get to that, that's the game. That's when you won the lotto. That is when you when you can change your currency. There's people out there with billions of euro on that journey, spending billions of euro just to realize, no, that thing won't make you happy either. What you need is to find yourself, become your own best friend. You know what I mean? And it doesn't cost a penny. It's just it's stop looking over there in the distance and start looking in there at your heart, like and start appreciating yourself and accepting yourself. And that's what it is. That's what self-love is. It's accepting yourself, warts and all that you're a good, you're a good person, like you know what I mean. And it's mad. I mean, with nature, was like you walked out to nature now, you know, you'd walk out to the forest, say, and you judge, you, you see these trees, some are, some are big, some are small, some are bent, some are crooked, some are all oddly shaped, you know. But we wouldn't judge them. We'd say, geez, they're all uniquely beautiful, they're all perfect just as they are, you know, you look at clouds, they're all different shapes and sizes, but none of them are doing a bad job, none of them are abnormal, you look at waves in the sea, they're all falling, different shapes and sizes, some are bigger, some are small, you wouldn't judge them, you walk into a crowd of people, ah, he's he's short, ah, he's skinnier, she's way too tall, ah, he's more money than me, she's a better, she's a better mother than me, or, He's more, he, he's from that part of Dublin or he's, she's from that country. You know, straight away we start to judge, you know. If we can start to look at people the way we look at nature, you know what I mean? Just accept everyone being uniquely perfect, being uniquely 
themselves you know what i mean that there were all these perfect creations but yeah we, we have this message in our head to say no do you know you need to be happy you need to look like this and that's what it feels certainly for a lot of kids now even going on instagram where they see the perfect white tee or the perfect skin or the perfect body or the, the brand new bmw or all these things and the, and that that that's send them that's a narrative is saying you need to look like this to be lovable you need to look like this to be worthy as you are now, you aren't worthy. You need to look like this. And then they're going down this big fucking rabbit hole. And hopefully a lot, lot of them will go on that journey. Some of them won't even make the full journey around because their mental health will get too bad. But a lot of them will come back that journey and realise that what they needed from the start was to realise that they're uniquely perfect, just as they are. And to celebrate their uniqueness, celebrate their oddness, their weirdness, whatever it is, just celebrate because there's no better version of you out there, like, you know? Amazing. Um, thank you so much. I could keep <laughs> talking to you all day. I try to keep the podcast as, as short as I can, but like I, I would love to speak to you all day. Colm, thank you so, so much. We, we'd be 35 by the time this, this stops. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the world saved though. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. You've This whole podcast episode has been about all the metaphors that you've, that you've shared about life, about what you've learned. But to me, I, I've just sat back and I've listened to your story. And for me, you are a metaphor for life. You are what it means to, to be human and to be fully alive. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being here. And thank you for being part of the Inside Out podcast. I really life. appreciate it. And just to finish up, what, the, what do you think your next tattoo is going to be? Oh, I have no idea. Do you know, I actually went to a, a psychic medium <laughs> uh, one of the days uh, last week and she was like, do you have tattoos? Now, I didn't show any of my tattoos while I was there, um, while I was kind of on the Zoom with her. And uh, I was like, um, I'm thinking of it. Yeah, she goes, something along the lines of wings. That's what I can see. So I was like, oh, God, OK. Wow. Um, yeah. How do you tattoo wind? Oh, no wings sorry oh wings wings, yeah. wings. Oh, i love that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So i don't know like we'll see i have loads of different ideas but um yeah we'll i love see. that yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we'll that's see. class um so thank you thank you so much Th and thanks for having me no i really enjoyed it thanks i hope i'll see you down in players sometime or if you're ever up this neck of the woods we'll get a sea dip in well, for sure like whenever the world opens up and gets the shit together we'll <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll be yeah. Yes, i hope it doesn't take as long for me to get my shit together for the world to get shit together uh listen thank you so much you're a legend Kira, thank you enjoy your like dips okay thanks a million enjoy the sun see you bye bye